Welcome to Occupations, the podcast, where we discuss what it's like to hold specific jobs. Occupations is brought to you by LotsOfMaps.com, where you fulfill your vintage map gifting needs. Visit LotsOfMaps.com. Hi, and welcome again to episode 10 of Occupations, the podcast. I'm Andy Jaglinzer, and I'm here with Natalie Martin Scatini. And Natalie is a jewelry designer, uh, works out of Manhattan, and she's going to tell you a little bit about what she does and how she came to uh, to do what she did. Natalie, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Andy. What a pleasure. It's my pleasure. Tell me a little bit about what you produce. Well, here at Martin Scatini, we have a wonderful jewelry collection that is basically in two parts. We have a collection that is presented on gold, and that is with diamonds and semi-precious stones. And also we have a collection that's presented on vermeil. Vermeil is the process of putting 18 karat gold on sterling silver. And it's called vermeil because the Count of Vermillon, which is a French old man a long time ago, decided to try his luck to put 18 karat gold on sterling silver, and he succeeded, and that is now called Vermeil. I purposefully make a distinction of Vermeil because it's quality jewelry. Mm. When you do just gold plating, the metal underneath is not noble, so it's not considered uh, semi-precious jewelry. So we do have that collection on Vermeil with semi-precious stones, and we use wood, we use mother of pearl. So Martin Scatini has quite an array of product. And I noticed uh, we're sitting in your showroom here in Manhattan, and I'm looking all around, and I see earrings, I see necklaces, I see uh, bracelets. Uh, what, what other pieces do you do? We actually make uh, wonderful rings. We do engagement rings as well. We do a lot of custom product. We here love to execute people's dreams. And we love to have a collaboration with our customers and they come with all sorts of interesting projects. And also we have our own line and collection that I design and it's made here in New York City. Everything is made here in New York, which is really a wonderful distinction. Absolutely. Um, we're going to have some photos of uh, some of your product so people can get a, a sense of what it is that you do and how beautiful it all looks. Uh, we'll have some of that up on our Facebook page and also our uh, Twitter and probably Instagram as well so that people can uh, can check it out and really see what you're all, all about. Oh, that's wonderful because we have really such a great you know, we have necklaces, bracelets, earrings, rings, brooches. We do ankle bracelets, all kinds of things, really. Great. Um, anything for men? We actually do make men's bracelets. We make men's chains and men's rings also. Excellent. I think the majority of the stuff that I'm looking at here is women's. I have to say yes. Okay. And I understand that. I get it. We work on, it. on mostly for the men's collection, it's not really a per se collection because it's more of a custom made. Very good. But we Very do good. have bouts throughout our 20 years in business. We have made collections for men. Excellent. That's good. Don't leave the men out. It's important. I know, right? We can't be sexist and say only the <laughs> girls get to wear the jewelry, <laughs> especially right. now. I mean, you're touching on a big subject, Andy, mm. because men's jewelry 
is making a huge comeback in society right Excellent. now. Excellent. 2023 is the year of reintroduction of jewelry, basically. And I see now more men outside in the street wearing jewelry. So this is something that Martin Scatini, as I'm speaking to you, I am speaking to myself and I'm going to make a note <laughs> to make sure that by next year we are up to par with this men's collection. Excellent. I'm glad I could help your business in one way or another. Oh, you are. Yes, <laughs> very much so. All right, so let's back up a little bit. First of all, I I note a little bit of an accent in your voice. Now, I've known you for a long time, so I know the whole story. But you are not from New York City, are you? I am not from Where New York City. Where are you from? I was born in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, and I've lived my most of my childhood in practically all my childhood in Haiti, and I came to New York to go to college. Very but I had good. been a frequent visitor of New York and already loved the city from a young age, so I have a long, long history with the city. Very good. So you, you went all the way through high school in Haiti? I did. Okay. Imagine you were very artistic growing up, into the arts, yes, I imagine. Yes, I actually, I actually grew up in a family that is very artistic. I get it from my mother, mm -hmm. who's an artist herself, a great artist. My grandmother on my mother's side, my grandmother on my father's side, and also my lots of my aunts, and particularly my godmother, who was also a jeweler. Excellent. So jewelry is in the family for sure. So that's good to know. What age were you when you, when you decided, this is really kind of what I want to do? I want to do jewelry or something artistic at least. Well, I have to tell you that I've been very lucky because I had a mother, and I still do. I have my mom. She's here, and she encourages me all the time. And she really pushed me mm. because she realized at a very young age that I was quite attracted to everything that had to do with hand work. So she started us very early. You know, I started around three, four years old making mm. um, the first things that I ever made were cards, uh, painted and drawings on cards. Mm. And we actually packaged them. Uh -huh. And my mom is a very industrious person. She always said that she, she must have been a marchand. Marchand en français, in French, is the person who sells things. Uh -huh. And so she started us very young and doing that. And then I graduated into making combs and bridal headpieces. Mm. And that became a full-fledged business by the time I was 9, 10 years old. Wow. And I actually continued doing so for many years. And my friends, I am lucky to have kept my friends all my life. And my friends that I was sitting in school with make jokes at me. And they said that now they understand what I was doing behind the desk, not listening to my math teacher and making bracelets instead. <laughs> but you're still good at math, aren't you? I'm actually good enough in math that I can make my numbers, but that's right. it. Don't put trigonometry in me. I will not be able to answer you. Fair enough. Fair enough. You, you probably don't need much of that anymore anyway. So No, that's okay. not, not really. That's not to say that kids, you shouldn't be learning trigonometry. Oh, no, we Learn want you to. You we want you to, because by the time you get to be old, you'll need it. And depending on what you do, you may need it. So, exactly. Um, but there are certainly places where you don't. 
Um, okay, so you were growing up in in Haiti, and you were you had your own business at ten, which is yeah. unbelievable. And at what point did you say jewelry? My jewelry career is not my first career, so I have to back up a little bit and give you a little detail. So the bridal headpieces mm-hmm. and the combs and the uh, headbands, I did that up until I was about 16. And I, I still do it to this day oh, okay. because believe it or not, the people that I made the head pieces for have children and their children have come to me and say, well, I want you to make my headpiece like you did my mom's. So this is something that is, it's a legacy business. Sure. And when you are your own legacy, which I am trying to build, things don't stray away. And so to go back to my family, we at home were encouraged. So my mom encouraged me to learn macrame. She encouraged me to learn how to draw. She encouraged me to learn how to paint. So my house, my life as a, as a teenager and as a child growing into my uh, surroundings, we did everything from making baskets for Easter to making carnival masks and carnival T-shirts at uh, Mardi Gras time. Mm -hmm. And for Christmas, you know, I did other things that were involving art and baskets and things. And so I was very busy doing that for a really long time. To make a little uh, parallel with my godmother, my godmother went to FIT. Mm -hmm. She was a jeweler. And so it encouraged me and put the seed in my mind because I always wanted to be here in New York. I mean, New York has been my city since I met it. Mm. And I have a long love affair with this city. And so I wanted to make my life here. I was very lucky to have that direction from a young age so that everything was sort of falling into place when I came here to go to FIT. Uh, FIT is the Fashion Institute of Technology right here in Manhattan. And um, I know you were uh, a student starting in uh, right after high school, right? Exactly. Okay. So I graduated, I mean, I finished high school yep. and then I came to New York to go to FIT in 1988. Mm-hmm. And I enrolled in the first offering of the accessories program. And it was called Accessories Design. And we were the pioneer class. Wow. So what, what did your uh, godmother go uh, for? My godmother went to FIT, but she studied jewelry design. Okay. And I actually studied accessory design. Got and it. the difference is that I made handbags. Mm-hmm. I made shoes. I also made belts. Mm-hmm. And of course, being as busy as a bee as I always like to be, on top of that, I have a certification as a milliner because I know how to make hats as well. Wow. So you are well-rounded in the hand arts and accessory and jewelry and the whole bit. Do you make clothing as well? I actually never made clothing, okay. even though my influences on my both my grandmothers were seamstresses. Mm. My father's mother actually created the first house, comme on dit en français, maison de couture. Mm. A maison de couture is a house where everything is made custom made. 
And my grandmother went to Paris because she had studied there, and she brought back to Haiti the ladies that were called les petites mains. Les petites mains are the ladies that make the finest sewings in the couture houses. Mm. So she was she opened the first couture house in Haiti, and she did that for many years. And so you would think that I would have been drawn to clothing, but I actually was never drawn to clothing. Mm. So you never learned how to sew? or Well, I do know how to sew. Okay. I would mm. just not be a respectable person in my household if I w- didn't know how to sew. <laughs> I mean, that just wouldn't be. Okay. So we all had to learn how to sew and to uh, do multiple things with, with the, you know, the hands, crafts, and so forth. So you were doing accessories in college. Um, you graduated college, and you went right into jewelry. I actually did, did not? not. Oh, so I'll take that back. So yeah. you did not go right into jewelry. I did not go right into jewelry. <laughs> That's why it's a little bit of a long-winded career since I started so young. But what ended up happening is this. When I came to New York to do accessories design, I worked in handbags with my first job for seven years. Oh, okay. And my second job for another seven years. And my second job is where jewelry was introduced. The first part of my uh, career in New York, I worked at a company called Kleinberg Sherrill. Mm -hmm. And I mentioned that company because the owner and founder of the company, Marsha Sherrill, at that time they were a married couple and they had started a company making alligator handbags and belts Hmm. and these were made in atlanta it was the only company making alligator handbags so they worked on american alligator and i worked for them for seven years Hmm. it was a wonderful job but you were working out of new york i know they were making them Mm -hmm. in atlanta were you starting to make things in new york instead no actually they made everything in atlanta but the office was here okay and we had a very beautiful showroom on Fifth Avenue. And then Marsha decided to open a retail store on 65th Street and Madison. And that was also very, very nice, beautiful showroom. And we did all the samples and everything in-house. But then the production was done in Atlanta. Got it. Got it. So what were you doing there at that time? You obviously weren't making anything. So were you doing uh, setup and and display and selling as well? I started as an intern. Mm -hmm. My then boss, Marsha Sherrill, who is still a very close friend of mine and a very big influence in my life to this day, she basically plucked me out of this other company that she, she happened upon me in a hallway and she said, I need you to come and work for me. And she literally... I was working for, as an intern, I was there doing a program with FIT, and I was with Carrie Adina, who's another handbag designer. I was, you know, doing my internship there, but Marsha said, no, no, no. She basically negotiated with Carrie because Carrie was her friend, and she said, I want this person, Natalie, to come work for me. The reason why this is so interesting is because Marsha was going out of town. She had a selling trip planned all around the West Coast, and she had nobody to stay in the showroom. Her then-husband and partner, William Kleinberg, she basically had to convince him to hire me. 
She just basically put her feet down. She started crying. She said, I need Natalie. I'm, I'm not making this up. This is a serious situation. Well, she was crying and crying. And she said, William, I need this girl to come and work for me. And so what they did is William said, okay, I'm going to give you the job. They all had to go on their trips. So I was basically left in the showroom for two weeks by myself. Oh, the first part of my job, and it was a sink or swim situation. Wow. And that day... It's a lot of responsibility. Yeah, mm. I decided to swim. Yeah. And I kept on swimming, and I've been swimming until now. Wow. And you were young. You were, what, 20? I was 20. 20 years exactly old. Exactly 20. Amazing. But it was, at the time, I was very mature. Yeah. They felt I was responsible enough. Mm -hmm. And I managed my two weeks and graduated uh, from my trial period with excellence, enough to stay for seven years. Wow, amazing. So I assume you sold during that, that time period too? Yeah. Wow. I went from being Marsha's assistant where I did development. And um, she's an extremely creative person, quite a genius that has designed furniture, she's designed handbags, she's designed lamps, she's designed uh, uh, shoes, she's designed uh, belts. I mean, name it, she's done it. And so during my time with her, I learned quite a bit. I was also like a sponge, an absorbing sponge, sure. and I just grabbed everything as far as knowledge that I could. These things have been formative to me for the rest of my life. If I'm able to hold my own company, even though my husband and I, Gabriel and myself, started the company together, but all these principles that I learned from all these older ladies in my life really helped me. And Marsha wasn't so old. I mean, she's only 10 years older than me. And I learned a Oh my God, an amazing amount of things. And I did everything from development of product, making the actual samples to selling them. And by the time I left the company, I was a sales and marketing director. So it was a very interesting passage because I did so many things in one company. You know, on, on occupations, we, we've interviewed a, a whole bunch of people. And the majority of them have stories just like that, where internships or their first position out of college or out of high school or whatever it was, that one position, the one that maybe they didn't love, but it, it was a total education. And it allowed them to continue to learn, learn, learn. And it sounds like you were learning things that I don't think you knew. Sales? Absolutely marketing to some degree, I'm exactly. sure. Exactly. Sales and marketing, display. And when you're learning from somebody who knows so much and you really put yourself into the mode of learning because it would have been easy for me to say, oh, I don't really want to do that. But I wasn't like that. I right. was just absorbing everything and it served me. And so many things that I learned there still serve me today in my own company that Wonderful. I do. Wonderful. Wonderful. Those are great lessons. Another theme that I, I like to do in occupations a little bit, have you ever had an experience, a work experience, where you didn't learn how to do things, but you learned how not to do things? To work with people, you need almost a degree in psychology. And when I worked with retail customers and when I worked with difficult people, I learned a lot of things that I did not want to do myself, but I also 
opened myself to learning how to deal with these situations so that I could be prepared. I feel like my entire life was a preparation up until the day that I opened Martin Scatini. Any opportunity, any situation that you, you have in work or in life in general, right? We're constantly learning how to deal with certain circumstances and and again, how to do things, how not to do things, how to treat people, how not to treat people. Um, totally. Yeah. Totally, totally. And to run your business, you need to be well-rounded, I assume. Uh, to- you know? Totally. Yeah. If all you knew was jewelry making, you probably wouldn't be very successful, I assume. No, I, I really don't think so. Because um, in at Martin Scatini, I've had to wear multiple hats. And so to get to Martin Scatini, there is one more step between Clambrick Sherrill and Martin Scatini. And that step was at Judith Jack. Judith Jack was a great experience, completely different from Clambrick Sherrill, I have to say. My experience at Clambrick Sherrill was amazing. I adored it. And I I wouldn't trade in any of my experiences for anything. But my career took a different path at Judith Jack where I was confronted to a much more structured corporate environment, and I wasn't used to that. So I had to learn how to behave in a corporate environment because I was hired as the sales director for a whole new division that they had created, and that division was handbags. So Judith Jack was predominantly a jewelry company making marcasite jewelry with sterling silver. And so they segued into making handbags and they hired me to be the director of that division. And I worked also with a great couple, were uh, Barbara and Henry Bolan. Uh, Barbara is also a handbag designer. She's out of Italy. And so basically I was there mainly to create the product and to sell the product. Mm. And my job became 50% design and creating and working with Barbara and Henry as a team with all the Italy guys, and that was in Florence. Mm. So I had I got to travel f- yeah. a few times a year to go there. So that was very, very, very nice. The other part of my job was a selling job, but high sales to big department stores, marketing, and I had a whole team of people that I worked with. And there was a real learning experience too, because I guess I'm a curious person by nature. Sure. So I would sit there and learn everybody's job. Mm. I just didn't just find myself doing my job, but I wanted to learn everything that everybody else was doing. And I had great people to learn from. Judith Rosenberg and Jack were the founders of, of Judith Jack. And they did an amazing job with that company. And uh, the company was right when I, after I came, a few years later, maybe a couple of years later, the company was sold to a big investment group. So there was great opportunity for growth. It became really big and great. And then the company did so well that the investment group was ready to sell to a bigger corporation. Mm. And that's when I made my exit. Okay. Because for me, they were going in, in a direction that wasn't really working sure. for me. That's when faith came in. Right. And faith presented me with the opportunity 
to open Martin's Gatini. Were you doing jewelry design on your own on the side anyway? I wasn't doing jewelry design on the side. I was always doing the bridal headpieces okay. and the combs. You never stopped that. That's I good. never okay. stopped that. So what happened next? I used to work at the a movie star building, it was called at the time, on 36th and 5th. And I noticed one day that somebody was moving out. And so, I don't know, curiosity again, of course, just following instincts. I get in the elevator and I'm following these people. And they are on the third floor and there was this little room, this little room that looked completely disheveled, but it had great windows. Mm. So I look in there and... I just, for some reason, I said, my God, you know, this is for me. I mm. didn't know what, was, I, what I was going to be doing at the time, but I knew that this office was for me. Wow. So what do I do? I call Marsha Cheryl. I said, Marsha, you have to come and meet me at the movie store building because that's where Kleinberg Cheryl had their offices too before we went to 65th and Madison. Ah, okay. So it's like I've been... Working Full circle. In, yeah, yeah, I was working in this building again with Judith Jack. I had already some visions of my future that were going to be there again. So I call Marsha and I say, you have to come down here. So she does come. We are both in this little room. And at this point, there's this lurking ideas of starting my own jewelry collection because Gabriel, my husband, was also selling jewelry at one point in his life. My mom always wanted to be a, she was a wannabe jewelry designer. She kept giving me stones and things. And so I, it, the, the idea was making its way. So Marsha comes in and she goes, oh, I'm going to help you design this space. So the space was as big as an egg, <laughs> literally as big as this table. Here. Wow. And so Marsha comes in and so she says, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. So I get home and I'm telling Gabby, Gabby, you have no idea what's going on here. You know, I found this little office at the building and we can start our company. Mind you, I was still working at Judith Jack and the company was segueing into something else, into a sure. bigger production that I didn't really want to be part of. Right. So all this happens. And so Gabby says, OK, I'm coming to see the space. So Gabby comes and he goes, oh, my God, this place, it's just like, are you sure? I said, trust me, <laughs> trust me, trust me. We are going to transform this space. So things happen. You know, my Judith Jack days end mm -hmm. on the 19th of September okay. in okay. 2002 and started Martin Scatini on a September 20. <laughs> I actually walked. What took you so long? I a know, whole right? Day. A whole day. Lotsofmaps.com. Vintage, local, national, and world maps for an affordable price. 99% of our maps are $25 or less. Great as gifts. Frame them or put them under glass for your home, vacation home, or as a memory of a special place. Lotsofmaps.com. I remember when Martin Scatini started on September 20th, 2002, this city was undergoing some major, major hurdles and changes. So it wasn't a booming, bustling, busy time to be starting a company. It was risky. And, it was yeah. risky and it was yeah. difficult, but, you know, faith and the universe speaks to you sometimes and you've got to listen and grab the opportunity. And that's exactly what we did. So you start this business. 
Yes. So this starts a new chapter in my life. So right. Natalie and Gabriel at this point have been married for since 1995. Mm -hmm. And we have been sweethearts from a young age. So working together comes with its wonderful challenges. And we persevered. And today, Martin Schettini is going into its 21st year. Wow, fantastic. Gabby had worked in jewelry, but was he making jewelry at the Actually time? Actually not. Okay, Ga so wh where did the jewelry making begin? And how did you organize yourself to try to figure out how you were going to do this? You hadn't done this yet. So this was no. you and Gabby and a room the size of an egg. <laughs> exactly. So what happened? So I have to tell you that by the time uh, September 20th, uh, 2002 came around, that egg became a Fabergé egg <laughs> because that office was gorgeous oh, and nice. grand. It was tiny, but so beautiful. Mm. So there, literally, I started this business with my husband. We did not know practically anything about jewelry. I had my experience in the accessories world. And like I said, you know, with uh, Judith Jack, they were a jewelry company that segued into the handbag business. So that created a marriage. And I inherited basically the jewelry part. Right. I inherited the jewelry part and took that part right. and incorporated into my knowledge of all the things that I know already and decided that this was going to be the branch we're going in. But you still haven't been making jewelry yet. I still haven't been making okay, jewelry yet. So how did that happen? So how did that happen? So basically, one day, September 21, <laughs> <laughs> we decide that I am making a collection. Okay. And at the time I was working alone, I didn't have yet my wonderful Alexandra, who's been working with me for 17 years out of those 21 years. I was alone. I cannot say I was alone because Gabriel and I, so we were a partnership, we were together, working together, but we were alone. And he had had experience in the past selling jewelry, mm -hmm. okay? And he was, at the time, also a seasoned businessman. Right. So he brought to the business a, a great deal of knowledge also as far as the uh, business side of things and how to do things. And he's always been a great influence in my life. He also was the person who had saved the money to be able to start this business. Because as an artist as I am, money, um, I wasn't really very good at managing <laughs> it. I've made but, lots of progress, Stan. But that's why partnerships work, right? Exactly. You spend the money and he makes the money or saves the <laughs> exactly. money. Exactly. <laughs> he saves the money. And he kept me on a straight line great all this time because he kept saying bottom line bottom line bottom line we can't just make everything beautiful me i'm just like it doesn't matter how much it costs as long as it's gorgeous honey it has to be gorgeous <laughs> doesn't matter how much it costs it has to be gorgeous but i think that we complement each other very well mm -hmm. so he brought in the business expertise I brought in the artistic part, and basically from there, it was another sink or swim situation because I had acquired some knowledge at Judith Jack, but because I had learned from all these people, I kept 
you know, I went to the packing station and I learned how he was packing. Right. I went to the gluing station and I learned how she was gluing. Excellent. I went to my vice president of sales and I would sit with him with my friend Robert that I always enjoyed working with. And we traveled together to Paris to different destinations to do shows. So I learned from that. So how you had to do. you had a lot of knowledge. Oh, I you had. had a lot of knowledge. I ha- I think that from my experience from day one, from mm-hmm. all the people that I was surrounded with, that basically I did have a lot of knowledge. It was not knowledge that was proven right. or that was uh, that I had worked on before, but right. it was knowledge that was there. You hadn't put it into action yet, exactly. but you had it in your head, and, and that's I could good. pull from it. Right. So you still needed jewelry tools and supplies and gems and metals and all kinds of things. So did Gabriel know where to reach out to get that? Or was that something that you had learned as well? Well, that's something that we learned together. And basically, we have a sense for luxury for since day one. And luxury is important. It's a dominant part of Martin Schettini. Even though we're a small house, we always have made beautiful, very nice, high-end quality jewelry. Mm -hmm. We never started into the less expensive, cheaper manufacturing, nothing of that. We made everything grand and beautiful to the best of our ability. And living in New York, because of the curiosity and going around, I found and sourced all sorts of different places. I searched and poked until I found exactly what I needed. And I found uh, jewelers to help me in the beginning. Some of them are still working with me to this day. Great. And they are basically the extension of my brain, I like to call them. They come with their own knowledge, mind you. I don't pretend to be the know-all, see-all of everything. Not at all. I'm very humble in my approach and I learn from people, but I do have a vision and I do stick to my vision. And I think that in doing so, the company has benefited because we kept a certain aesthetics and a certain know-how. So I always wanted to position myself like a baby Cartier or a baby Boucheron or one of those very high-end French companies, also American, like Tiffany's, I wanted to be like them. Okay, so you had your vision and you knew you knew basically the clientele you were looking for. Gabby had a lot of experience in sales. Were you selling directly to, uh, to customers or were you selling to stores? How did you start and, and where did that lead you to? Okay. Well, we had a different path. Remember, I had a lot of knowledge with wholesale companies. So I kept some of my relationship from my wholesale stores that I worked with. And initially, Martin Schettini was created to be sold to these stores wholesale. So we had a business model in our mind that we were following. But because I kept my relationship with all of the customers that I ever worked with since I was nine years old, I basically had a captive audience to whom I could reach out to and present yet another page in the book of Nathalie Martin. And I say this with humility. 
I do not think of myself as a pompous or I'm a designer. None of that. I'm an artisan who works with her hands and who has respect for the materials that she touches. So I would be ungrateful and sort of false modesty to not acknowledge that God gave me an amazing talent. It's what makes me live. Absolutely. This is my life. When we started Martin Schettini, I never got another job. Hmm. So everything had to fall into place for this to happen. So were you targeting stores at this time or were you targeting individuals? I was actually doing both. Okay, so a little of everything. mm -hmm. We always intended to have small but more uh, sophisticated distribution. We never intended to have huge distribution where we would be selling to like QVC or mini stores. I mean, my aim was Bergdorf Goodman. I mean, Bergdorf Goodman is the end all be all of all stores in my opinion. Mm -hmm. So of course, my aim has always been them. But it's not just that. Because of my captive audience, people from all over that have recognized that we have something to bring and they gave me the chance and the opportunity. So we made jewelry for them. So I always had a private clientele. And if you are a fashion person or know about fashion's business right now, things are changing. The COVID epidemic created an opening for people like me to work directly with the customer. Even though Martin Scatini had been doing that since 2002 when we started, but the fact that nobody could go out, right. nobody could be in a store, right. and of course the big phenomenon of Instagram. Right. Instagram has been a huge, a huge part of our business. Excellent. And before Excellent. Instagram, there was BBM. From BlackBerry. Mm -hmm. I was a huge (laughs) fan of BlackBerry phones. And I just, I had to put my BlackBerry down. I almost had a funeral for it. (laughs) I was just like heartbroken when I had to give up my my BBM. Because that's when the direct sort of WhatsApp communication went into making businesses what they are today. Right. Absolutely. It was a... Definitely a f- on the forefront of, of what we have uh, today. Exactly. Absolutely. And it's very funny as I'm talking to you and I'm reminiscing about these days where we took a picture and we put it on our BBM and everybody started commenting, oh, I like that. Oh, I want that. And then from there, you know, Facebook happened. I, I've never been a Facebook person. I'm not so open. I'm more of a private person. Mm-hmm. So I'm not so open to having my picture everywhere. And so that's why Instagram suits me. Because for me, Instagram is the, a great means to showing your product to customers. Right. And exactly. so that has made a huge difference in business today. And obviously you have a physical product that if photographed correctly, is going to really show its beauty and is really going to show off the quality and everything else. And, and obviously you have a name now and people understand it's going to be quality. The creation of jewelry is something visceral for me. I am fascinated by the materials that I work with. I'm fascinated by the stones. And when I tell you that, if you look at 
any stone that the earth has created. The stones to me represent this. When I look at the fruits that are on trees, I think about them as nourishment for my body. When I think about stones, to me, they are like the fruits that come from the bottom of the earth, and those are nourishment for your soul. Mm. And this is something that is extremely important in my Martin Scatini business. I always wanted to not just be in the jewelry business. I don't want to just sell jewelry. I want to sell happiness. Happiness is something that brightens our lives. Love brightens our life. Love for me is something that I put into every single piece that I make. Every single piece that's created at Martin Scatini is a piece made with love mm. and respect of the material. I am proud because I have a very small box of broken, unused materials. Mm. In all the time that we've been in business, we never have had excess matière première. Matière première is the first material. So we use everything. Everything that comes into my hands, I use it. And this comes from my grandpa. My grandpa on my mom's side. Mm. He would never throw away not even a little nail because Mm. he was a builder. He was an architect and he was creating but this is not to say that I'm a hoarder. Oh, you're repurposing is what I'm you're doing. repurposing. Yeah. I am not a hoarder. On the contrary, I need order in my life to survive. Mm-hmm. I cannot live without order. But the respect that I have for each and every little stone is something that is shown in my work because I take pride in my work. And it means a lot to me. It's not just about making the peace. It's about making the peace that's going to bring joy mm-hmm. and happiness to the person who's wearing it. Mm-hmm. So are you finding your clients are, they see something, let's say on Instagram, they see it and they say, they identify with it and they say, that is me and I need to have that. Is that what's, what's happening? Is it more along the lines of that? And that is going to make me happy. I do think so. And it's not just on Instagram. Yeah. We have a model also that we follow. We create our own shows. You told me before, do you go to shows? I did in the past. I went to trade shows, but I found out that it wasn't something that was for me really because I never had a lot of money since the beginning of Martin Scatini. I never had extra money. Sure. Every penny was always counted. So I had to find a way to make an impact. So I decided to create my own shows and invite my own people and have them come to me. So not just on Instagram, but people will walk in. And I do shows all over. I mean, I do them in New York, in Haiti, in Washington, in Miami, in Vienna, Austria, Mm. in France, in London. Mm. And every time it's the same story. People walk in, they are drawn to a piece Mm. and it's got to be their piece. And that's it. And because we offer such a wonderful array of price ranges at Martin Scatini, 
You can find your happiness for $50 like you can find your happiness for $50,000. So, I mean, we don't really have a lot of pieces that cost that much. I mean, we can make them and sure. we're welcoming all the people who want to make these big orders. Sure. But the truth of the matter is that because we have a variety of materials, a variety of price points, we work in gold, we work in vermeil, that offers the customer the possibility to buy. They can find what mm -hmm. identifies with them and also what they can afford. And that's great. Lotsofmaps.com. Vintage, local, national, and world maps for an affordable price. 99% of our maps are $25 or less. Great as gifts. Frame them or put them under glass for your home, vacation home, or as a memory of a special place. Lotsofmaps.com. Every piece of Martin Schettini jewelry goes into these little bags. They're made of crochet and fabric. And my mom literally sits there and sews them and cuts them. And so that's wonderful. So we've never had a commercial bag for Martin Schettini jewelry, but these little bags are made by my mom and they're quite treasured. And they're beautiful. <laughs> they're beautiful. And sometimes people have even mistaken them for the actual gift. <laughs> so when somebody gets this Martin Schettini jewelry, mm -hmm. they're already in love with the little bag. Mm -hmm. And they find all sorts of ways to use the bag. And they're like, well, can I have another one? Can I have another one? And we make them in different sizes. And they're like, I want a bigger one so I can put other stuff in there. So it's quite a story. Can we find Martin Scatini jewelry in stores? Well, that's the thing. Martin Scatini jewelry is sold in some uh, specialty boutiques around the U.S. Mm -hmm. Martin Scatini is behind the times. Mm -hmm. We need a website. Okay. We do have a website. It was created in 2006. It's martinscatinijewelry.com. It's a beautiful postcard. <laughs> you walk in. You can look at different collections. And it shows the first collections of Martin Scatini. Since then, we have, ev we have evolved and we have done better and more. But we need an actual 2023 website that people can go on and buy. Mm -hmm. But the elusive dollar yeah. becomes always the issue. Absolutely. And that's what's the problem. The problem is the funding. But we're working on that. Okay. We're working on... Creating this fabulous website that so many people are waiting for. Sure. We have this captive audience of people saying, where is the website? Where <laughs> is the website? And so the onus is on me. Okay. And Gabriel, of course. So who else is working with you, uh, Martin Scatini, other than the folks you've already mentioned? Yeah. Well, it's very funny because I have this uh, wonderful group of jewelers and setters and polishers. They are accomplishing and putting to life a lot of my vision. And as much as I respect them for their job and what they do, I do like to change things up a little bit, and they don't like that so much. Yeah. <laughs> so we get into conflicts. How do people find your jewelry? On Instagram, you go to at Martin Schettini, which is that little A, mm -hmm. and then Martin Schettini is spelled M-A-R-T-I-N-S-C-H-E-T-T-I-N-I. -T -T -I -I. There is the website, however old, 
it's still a beautiful postcard that you can get a glimpse of what we do. Okay. And that's martinscatinijewelry.com. And basically, you can make an appointment to come to the showroom. Our phone number is 212-502-0975. And that's the Martin Scatini Showroom at 501 Fifth Avenue in New York City. Very good. And we'll have some links and things on our Facebook page and on our Instagram page as well. So you can uh, you can go and, and just click on that. It'll lead you right to where you need to go. So uh, people that are interested in jewelry making, potentially, maybe uh, young, young adults or children, uh, what would your advice be as far as trying to find their niche? Now, the business acumen and all of that came with partnering with your husband, but also with learning and working for other folks. But what about the jewelry making itself? Do you have any uh, any suggestions? Are there any uh, other than your website to see what's out there and see what else is happening? Are there other other suggestions that you might have for folks to be able to reach out and try to do uh, something on their own? Oh, definitely. Well, I think that once you decide to go into the jewelry business, whether it's as an illustrator, as a jewelry bench worker, as a jewelry salesperson, every job that you do, you really need to have a vision and stick to it. It's really important. I find that there's, in the U.S., there's many, many, many places where one can learn. You can go to school to learn about jewelry design, jewelry making. Now there's a vast world of Google and the vast world of YouTube where you can basically go in and start to look at. Now you can go to FIT. FIT is a wonderful school right here in New York. And I have a particularly great relationship with the school because I, you know, it's my alma mater and I respect it. And there's a lot of people who've come from different places all over the world to go to school there for jewelry design, for shoe design, for uh, clothing designs and so forth. So I think that there's a lot, there are a lot of programs out there, but for the young people who are determined to be in a certain business, I say, follow your instincts, follow your gut and stick to what you want to do. So would you suggest just doing it in finding a way to get it done? You started, you had your own business when you were 10 you learned a lot, but you were also making a few few dollars while you were doing oh, it too, which is great. So would you suggest, okay, you want to be a jewelry maker? Go to the store, buy some cheap uh, things just to do it. I would, um, I would just say that. Just at least that. to get, get motivated. I would say that. I, I value entrepreneurship. And in my household, it was a valued thing too. My mom, as I told you, was a very industrious, is a very industrious person. And she encouraged us. She encouraged me particularly because she saw the seed in me. So I say to parents out there, if you see that your child has the seed in them to do something with their hands, to do something creative, push them in that direction. Very good. So other than gold and silver and vermeil, what other uh, materials are you using? Well, actually, I work with wood. I work with Mother of Pearl, and those are separate, really, from the actual stones. Because of my influence in my life from 
these important women that were seamstresses, I say that I incorporate fabric in my collection too. I have always had a fascination with ribbon. And then, of course, you know, the actual love of the stones. So, so I love the yeah, stones. Now let's talk about the stones that you use. What kind of stones do you like to use? Well, you know, people have asked me in the past, what's my favorite stone? This is something I could never answer. I could not answer because I believe that the stones talk to me. Mm. When I go, we have our stones. They are also cut for us. I mean, we buy stones, but they, we also have them cut for us. But the stones that I find at random, because now that we've been in business for 21 years, people come to us with stones from different places, from Brazil, from Italy, from all over. I mean, lapis is a stone that comes from Afghanistan. Mm. Rose quartz, they come from Afghanistan. We have citrines, amethyst, uh, smoky topaz, all that comes from Brazil. Brazil is, a, is, a, is an amazing country full of, of quite a bit of stones. They have that Paraiba tourmaline. That's one of our, this is my dream stone that I'm aiming for. And as you can, people can't see me as I'm talking, but my hands are going up in the air. <laughs> and I'm thinking about, it's like the Holy Grail, the Paraiba tourmaline. It has this amazing blue. It costs a fortune. So of course, I can't really afford to work with it unless somebody decides to give me a project to work with it. So it's uh -huh. like, come on, people, send me a tour, Paraiba tourmaline. No, seriously, I would love to work with that. And it's an amazing stone. And it's quite out of reach for a lot of people. But the stones, I love to work with semi-precious stones more than the precious. But I have to say something. Precious stones, there's four of them. There's the diamond, mm -hmm. emeralds, rubies, sapphires. Those are the only ones that are considered precious. Mm -hmm. And out of those four, diamonds are my best friend. Because you know that <laughs> thing they say, Diamonds are a girl's best friend. Mm -hmm. Well, they're my best friend. I love oh, diamonds. Very good. And my father loved diamonds. Mm -hmm. And when he would look at my collection, he would say, he would say, oh, honey, you make such beautiful things. You're so talented. But he would always gravitate towards the diamonds. And he would say, now that's a beautiful piece mm -hmm. because it had all diamonds on it. <laughs> so he loved diamonds. Yeah, good taste. Yeah, and he, my father was born in April. Uh, and April birthstones is diamonds. There you go. So that's something, you know, that I've pieced together little things like that, little anecdotes from all over all the time because I'm that way. Mm -hmm. I'm a curious person. So little details. Semi-precious stones are wide there's a wide variety of them and they come in all sorts of sizes and shapes and colors. And I love them. And when I see them, it's hard for me not to have them, even for myself. I just love <laughs> to touch them. I love to play with them. And I like to make jewelry with them. So tassels hmm. are an example I want to mention. Hmm. When I was a child, I learned how to make tassels in fabric. I always loved them. I mentioned them because now I make them in real uh, stones. So I make them in uh, malachite. I make them in lapis. I make them in garnets. I make them in apatite. There are some stones that not a lot of people know about, mm. like apatites and chrysoprase. 
Those stones, I really love them. They're not very common and widespread. Mm. Stones come in a lot of varieties of fineness. Mm-hmm. Semi-precious stones can be very, very, very expensive, like fire opals and tourmalines are expensive, aquamarines are expensive, more than the other stones. But also, if you have a fine Amazonite, Amazonite is a particular stone that comes from Brazil. I love it because in its most common stage, it's not so blue. But then when you get it in its finest stage, mm-hmm. it's so blue and so fascinating. Uh, okay. And because I mentioned a lot of blue, you would think that blue is one of the colors that dominates me. It's not just that. I love all stones. It just depends on the particular instant in my life that I am going through because stones have healing powers. And that's why I went, I'm going back to my adage when I said, when I look at the fruit on the trees, they are nourishment for the body. And the stones that grow inside the earth are a fruit to me that the earth produces. And that fruit is nourishment and healing for the soul. Stones have specific meanings what they're good for, what they're not. I'll go into an amethyst, for example, which is a very important stone because it's of its healing powers, of its therapeutic powers. It's good for people who are addicted to things. If we go into the world of stones, we can spend, that's another podcast. That's like (laughs) another podcast All all by itself just to talk about the stones and what they're good for. I love creating all sorts of jewelry. And when you look around the showroom, you'll see many things. I have an attachment to weddings because I started my career as a bridal headpiece maker. And so I'm always interested in weddings, making beautiful uh, jewelry for the bride and Mm. beautiful jewelry for the mother of the bride and the bridesmaids. So we do that. And But if you look around, you'll see there's many colors, and I love to work with stones that are not so common and not so available. Right. Natalie of Martin Scatini Jewelry, thank you so much for being on Occupations. Uh, we really enjoyed your, your visit. Thank you so much, Andy, for your time. Thank you. Thank you for coming to see me in New York. Always. New York loves to have you visit. You know that. Stay tuned for yet another episode of Occupations coming soon. Thanks so much. Occupations has been brought to you by LotsOfMaps.com. Please follow Occupations the Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to find information about our next episode or to see what past episodes are available.